Well, good morning. How are you guys today? Good, all right, everybody's good. It's, it is an exciting weekend here at Great Oaks, and I am, had so much fun this weekend. Hopefully you have as well. Uh, and Community Bash yesterday, who was here? You can like cheer. I know it's like church, right? Nobody, everybody's like, can I make noise in church? You don't have to raise your hand. How many people were here for Community Bash? Yeah, there you go. It was great. Just, just a couple statistics to report to you that I think are super exciting about this. So this wasn't an actual official part of Community Bash, but we had a charity kickball event that kind of was here all day, kicking off raising money for a family in need in our community. That event raised $8,000 and paid rent for four months for a family that wouldn't have had rent otherwise. So uh, amazing opportunity to use the gifts that God has given us for that. Our fun run and 5K, how many runners? I'm definitely on the pancake eater side of the runner thing. I'd rather eat the pancakes. But we raised two, over $2,000 for the Leukemia Lymphoma Association or Society, and so it was a great event. And I'm just going to say, I've been in church for, well, a long time. I won't tell you how old I am because that's how long I've been in church. Five different states, 10 different churches, friends at all kinds of churches. I've never been at a church that does its own fireworks show. So I'm just saying, it was an amazing end to the night. So if you played any role in helping that happen, thank you. We can't do this on our own. The staff can never pull this off without your help. And I could stand up here and list everybody who helped out, but I'd miss someone and then they'd get angry and there'd only be a two minute sermon and I'd be sad, you'd be happy, so we won't do that today. Uh, but if you helped out anyway, I really do appreciate it. And if you were at Community Bash last night and you came back and you're like, well, this is a different church than I've ever been at before. If they'll put on fireworks, I want to see what happens on Sunday morning. I want you to know I am so glad you're here. And I hope that as you have come in this morning, as you've been greeted, you have felt welcomed, you have felt loved, and you feel like this is a place where you can belong. However, as we gather with all of the excitement in the air, this is a day that we need to pause and remember. Because 21 years ago today, tragedy struck our country. Now, for some of us, it just makes us feel old when we realize it's been 21 years. But it was 21 years ago that injustice struck our lives. And so we're going to pause in just a minute for a moment of silence, and then I'll close this in prayer, to remember the heroes who rushed in when everybody else was running away, to remember the innocent lives that were lost on that day, and to grieve the acts of injustice that took place here. So would you pause with me in a moment of silence, and I'll close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we come this morning with all kinds of mixed emotions, excited about what you're doing in this place, but knowing that there are families who are still grieving deeply the losses they felt 21 years ago. And so God, for those families who are grieving those losses, I pray that your presence is real in their lives today. 
that they know they're not alone, that there's comfort in your presence, comfort in who you are. And God, I pray that wherever those folks live, the church there is reaching out in love and compassion, holding those folks as they mourn and grieve. God, we thank you that we live in a country where there are so many people who sign up willingly to be first responders, to show up in places that most of us don't want to be, to protect us, to help, to serve. And God, I pray that as they go about their days, they would feel the gratitude that we have for them. And God, I pray that you would watch over and keep them safe. God, we think this morning of those in this room who are dealing with their own personal injustices or tragedies and are grieving. God, we ask that you would walk into those spaces. No matter how big or how small, that we would see you in that, that we would feel your presence, that we would know that we worship a God who understands the pain we feel and who wants something better, but who will never leave us alone in our grief. God, may we see that today through the truth of your word. We love you. We thank you for loving us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to think about a place you want to spend a lot of time, a place you want to just go to, you love to be there. When you get there, you don't want to leave. Where's that place? So for me, that place often is going to have good coffee. So we can sit down and have a good conversation. That place is going to have people who love and care about me. Who, I don't have to put on the happy face, right? You know what I'm talking about. Like, there are some times we just have to smile because it's inappropriate to be like, how's life? It's, all, it's awful. No, like, it's, so we smile. But like, when we're in that place where we feel comfortable, we can literally say, it's rough right now. But I'm so glad to be here. For me, that place is probably also going to have good food. I love to eat, and there's something about food that brings comfort. There's something about food that makes us feel like we're at home. And if you want to ensure that I never leave your house, like if you're like, well, what kind of place is he talking about? If you want to make sure that I never leave, if you put good coffee with people who care about me and good food and a great board game, I'm going to stay all night long. I just want you to, you should be warned of that. Where is it for you? A place where you can just be who you are. A place where you enjoy spending time. A place where when life is rough, that's where you want to go back to because it feels safe. A place where you belong. You know, when I was in high school, I wanted that place so badly to be with the cool kids. 
In my high school, that was the football players and the cheerleaders. And if you weren't one or you weren't a close, close friend of one, you were at least second class. And so I remember wanting to be there, but never finding that place of belonging. But where I found that place, that place that I could be comfortable, that place that we could have fun, that place that we could enjoy life was at my buddy Andy's house. Now, I'm old, so this was before cell phones. But in this time before cell phones, Andy had his own personal line to his house. So you didn't have to call and talk to his parents. You could call his like room and it would ring just this phone in his room and his parents would never answer it, right? Andy was cool. He had all the fun toys. Big screen TV, pool table, dartboards, video games, heated swimming pool. Andy's house was the place to be. It was a place where you could come. There was always food. Sometimes we brought it. It was not healthy, but it was great. And we just enjoyed being there. Once, one time it snowed, and I ended up stuck at Andy's house for four straight days, never went home. It was amazing. <laughs> but when you think about those places where you belong, or you want to get stuck for four days... I think the sad truth is I don't know how many of us think about the church as that place. If you're like me, that's because stereotypically the church has really bad coffee, right? Not the brewers do a great job. It's the product. We'll work on it. But you know, budget, we got to stay in it. But all joking aside, for a lot of people who are outside the church, this place doesn't feel very safe. It doesn't feel like a place where they'll be loved. For people who don't know Jesus or maybe who stand aside or maybe you could talk to your neighbor who never attends church and they would be like, eh, maybe not. Maybe a little more judgmental than I want to be a part of. And we don't think about church as a safe place to be. Some of you are here this morning and you came to a party last night and you thought, I'm going to come and check it out, but my expectations are pretty low because I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to get from a church. And I pray that you feel something different today. I hope that you felt something different because we really want Great Oaks to be the type of church that breaks that stereotype that says we want to be different. And so some of you probably received a postcard that looked like this in the mail this week. And maybe you flipped out because you were like, wait, are we selling the property? The answer is no, we're not selling the property. The front of the card was meant to grab your attention, but the back of the card is my heart. We're moving to a new beginning where you can engage in conversation, experience compassion, and discover purpose. I believe those three statements can best be wrapped up in this one line. We desire to be a place where everyone can experience the love of God. Everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, when you show up here, our prayer is that you experience the love of God.
And maybe to better understand that, I want us to take a look at a passage of scripture today that is pretty famous. You've probably seen it on a coffee mug. Maybe somebody cross-stitched it for you. You put it on a t-shirt. Maybe you have a friend who is a Christian and you're here and you're like, I'm not sure who this Jesus guy is, but I went to my friend's house and you saw this verse on their wall. They probably had it framed, special lighting. It looked really nice. The verse is from Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, and it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And this is probably what's on the mug. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, I think in this one verse, we see not only what God wants from us, but more importantly, what God wants for us and what God offers us. You see, because we can look at that and we can say, oh, well, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly, but the last phrase is the one that really matters. With your God. You see, for each and every one of us here, whether you've been in church forever and never left or you're coming back or you've got questions that fourth statement, with your God, is the one that adds the depth. It's the one that enables the other three to be possible because if we don't do these things with God, we've missed it. But God says, if you'll live life with me, I'll provide this for you. And we see that clearly as we back up from Micah 8 and start at Micah 6, verse 1, and we get this picture of what's happening. So let's take a look at Micah 6, 1 through 3. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundation of the earth, for the Lord has a case against his people. He's lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. What we see in this passage is we've walked into a courtroom, so to speak. God is going to be the judge. He's going to bring his accusation through the prosecuting attorney who will be Micah, who will be voicing God's complaint against Israel. God has said to Israel, as I launch this complaint against you, the, all of creation is going to watch. The mountains and the foundations of the earth are going to be the jury. And you, Israel, will be the defendant. And I think we can look at this passage and quickly say, oh, God is about to bring some judgment on Israel. But I don't actually think that's what God's doing. As you look at these verses, you see the heart of a father, maybe more than we realize at first glance. This is the God of the universe who is speaking. He needs nothing. He desires nothing. He doesn't need a relationship with Israel. He wants one. God wants to be with his people. He's perfect in every way. He loves his people so much that he brings them to court. You might envision this a little differently if you think of God as a humble parent. Coming to a rebellious child 
and saying, what have I done? How have I neglected you? How have I not met your needs? Why are you rebelling against what I've asked you to do? They're not unfair. And much like that child, Israel would respond. But before we get there, we realize this is not as much about a trial as it is about a God who wants to restore a relationship so that he can be with his people. He loved them. And he is calling them in the next couple verses to remember how he's walked with them, how they've been in relationship in the past. This is Micah continue. Micah 6.4, I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what King Balak of Moab plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? With the Lord to be ple- will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Okay, that gets a little confusing. You're not keeping up there. Micah's like speaking two different things. First, he speaks on God's behalf. God says, I want you to remember Remember what I've done. Remember the ways I walked with you. And then he switches and he assumes the answer that Israel's gonna come with. And that assumed answer is that they'll be like, what more do you want from us? And then we get back to that six, eight that we'll go back to in just a second. But I want you to remember as we look at this passage, we, as a church, desire to be a place where everyone can experience the love of God. God's love for his people is what caused him to see their hurt and their desperation in Egypt, to hear their plea and to set them free. It's because he loved them that he sent people to lead them. It's because he loved them that he protected them from another nation that came against them. It's because he loved them that he led them to the promised land. And he provided and he gave them a land that was fertile and they could grow crops, they could build families, they could establish themselves. And if you look at this as God's plea, the heart of a father responding to his kids, their answer is heartbreaking. Because they essentially look at him and go, how much more do you want from us? All the expensive calves? Do you want 1,000 rams? Do you want a a river of olive oil as a sacrifice? Do you want my firstborn? But our response to God, maybe not quite that dramatic, isn't much different today, is it? Aren't there a lot of us inside and outside of the church that just believe God really just wants our money? He really just wants our time? He really just wants to control my life so he can tell me how to live. And all of a sudden, instead of a loving father, God becomes a father who sets the rules and we owe something to. You see, when we make our relationship with God look like this, it makes us be like angsty teenagers. No offense. (laughs) Who like, your parents come to you and you're like, hey, could you clean your room? Would you just get off my back? 
Just leave me alone. That's what they're saying. That's what he's saying. God, I, I gave you some offering. Leave me alone. I gave you what you wanted. Leave me alone. How much more do you want from me? God is looking at his people. He's looking at all of us. He's looking at you who are here in the room today and are like, I'm not sure I, I know who this Jesus is. And he's saying, all I want from you is a relationship. All I want from you is a deep relationship. I want to provide for you a place where you belong. When I want to be in relationship with somebody, you reprioritize your schedule to make sure you have time with them. You know what they need, and you help provide that. And in that, they feel like they belong, and you feel like you belong as you create this space that feels safe. My guess is there's some of us here today who are maybe online who are like, yeah, I've never felt that towards God. I've never felt like God actually created that space for me. Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 8 this, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you cleaned yourself up, before you put it all together, before you had answers, you might feel like you've got some answers now, but before any of that happened, God sent his son humbly walking out of heaven as an act of love and mercy on our behalf. Jesus walked this earth. He went through what we go through. He lost a loved one. He, know what it, he knew what it felt like to be betrayed. He knows what it feels like to be publicly humiliated. He knew what it felt like to be in a place where all he wanted was for someone to show up and say, how are you doing? And the people closest to him are sleeping. Jesus knows what it feels like. He hung on that cross, paying a price we couldn't pay to satisfy the justice of God. But he walked out of that grave to create a place where you and I can feel safe, where we can belong, where we can experience love, where we know we're never alone. And if we understand that's who God is, then he's calling us to share those same three things with other people. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God doesn't want your offerings. He doesn't want your money. The truth is, if this church never took in another dime and God wanted it to exist, he would figure out a way. We do those things. 
because we understand what God has done for us. And out of acts of gratitude and thankfulness, we do that. But one of my favorite pastors and theologians says this, God doesn't want a specific type of offering. He wants a specific type of person. You see, it's not my offering that matters. It's the heart that it comes from. It's the person that I become as I experience Jesus in my life. And church, I think as we do that, as we become that type of person, we begin living a life that allows others to engage in conversation and allows us to engage in conversation with those who don't believe the same things we believe. Living life with God allows us to be humble enough that we'll create spaces to have hard conversations. For those who aren't quite sure yet what they believe, engaging in conversation means sitting in the hard questions. It means creating a place where it's safe enough to actually ask that question It means we'll support and encourage as we grow together. The truth is, every one of you sitting here today, whether in this room or online, you have something to teach me. You've read a scripture passage. You've lived an experience of life. And I have something I need to learn from you. And the same is also true. I have things to teach you. Not up here with a microphone. But as we sit down and we, love, we live life together. By engaging in conversation. By wrestling with each other's questions. Even when we disagree. We grow. There are probably some of you here this morning just looking for a place safe enough to ask your questions because you've been holding on to it for a long time and wondering what everybody else would think if you voiced it out loud. My heart is that this will become a place where it's safe enough to ask anything. That we become a church where no question is out of bounds. That we become a church where questions and learning and discovery are so highly valued and encouraged because we worship a God who's bigger than our questions. I don't think God sits in heaven and goes, oh, Jason is thinking that. He is so smart. I never thought about that question. I don't have an answer for it. That's not who God is. God is like, I have thought of every question that you could possibly ask eight times over. Please come ask me. The disciples come and ask Jesus questions all the time and he never turns them away. But allowing people to ask questions requires humility. It requires we listen more than we talk. It requires that as they ask the question, we answer it or we listen in a way that allows the conversation to keep going. You've asked a question before and got an answer and you knew the conversation was over, haven't you? 
What if we became a place that no matter what the answer was or what the question was, our response back furthered the conversation? Because God is with us in our questions and our doubts, and he calls those of us who are walking life with him to engage in those conversations with others. Great Oaks, when we become a church that can engage in conversation, no matter how difficult, we become a place where others can experience compassion. I actually believe our culture has lost a lot of the ability to share compassion, to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, to imagine what it feels like to live in their place. And I wonder if the church isn't any different. Phil Vischer, the creator of VeggieTales, if you're not familiar with VeggieTales, it's like talking tomato, talking cucumber, Bible story. They throw Slurpees at each other. It's fantastic. Go home and YouTube it. It'll be great. But this guy who created the talking vegetables says this. When we have abandoned the way of Jesus to do the will of Jesus, that's when we've lost the plot. What is the way of Jesus? Micah says it's to love mercy. That word, there are a few Hebrew words I know. It's like early on a Sunday and it's rainy and you're tired because you were at a party last night and you're like, you're going to teach me Hebrew? Just one word. It's a great word. I won't say it the way it's supposed to be said because it would be gross and there might be something fly out. But you kind of like, like hawk up some phlegm as you say it. But it is the word hesed. And this word means loving kindness. It's steadfast love. It's the unfailing love of God. And this love is active. Because God never wants us to doubt it. He wants us to experience it. It's why Jesus went to the cross. It's how God feels about you. And it's also the way he wants us to love our neighbor. 26 times when this word is used in the Old Testament, it is followed by the word forever. It's this love of God that fights to create a space where the Israelites can experience compassion. It's this love of God that fights to create a space where those who are far from him can experience truth. You see it all through the Gospels. The woman at the well comes up to Jesus to ask questions. She doesn't believe yet. She's not living a lifestyle we would hope that any of our kids would leave. And Jesus doesn't shoo her away. Jesus answers her question. In John, when a woman caught in the act of adultery, that's what the text says, in the act of adultery, gets brought before Jesus. He responds with love. He looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. He looks at all the people around who are ready to stone her for what she's done. If you're without sin, throw the first stone. To Zacchaeus, the man who stole a lot of money from his people to make his own wealth, Jesus looks at it and says, hey, I'm going to your house today for lunch. I want to eat with you. To Judas, who would betray him, Jesus dies on a cross for his betrayal. 
It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God loves you. And if you've never heard that message before, I hope it sinks in. No matter who you are or what you've done, God loves you. And if you're a follower, God is calling you to love people that same way, to show them mercy they don't deserve. Because the truth is, God showed it to us when we didn't deserve it. And he still shows it to us every day when we don't deserve it. That is the power of the gospel to transform our lives. Great Oaks, I hope we desire to be a place where everyone can experience the love of God. And when we as followers of Jesus live this out, we become a place where everyone can discover their purpose. Acting justly is gonna look different for every one of us. And I'm not gonna stand up here and spell it out exactly what pursuing justice will look like in your life, in your neighborhood, at your place of work, or in your school. But church, we are called to be a place that allows people to discover their unique gifts, the talents that God has given them, the passions that God has put inside of them, and to take those things, marry them with the experiences they have in life, and use that so that each of us would fill our purpose by going and standing for justice in whatever way God has called us to. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. I want to stop right there because some of you are sitting here today and you don't feel like you're a masterpiece. God looks at you and he says you are. Created the way God wanted you to be. And he has created anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We live in a world where injustice is all around. And as followers of Christ, we're called to help people see their purpose, to care for the poor, to stand up to injustice when we see it, to care for the widows and the orphans. How will we live out that purpose? How will we create a place where people can see that? Church, we are moving to become a place where everyone can experience the love of God. Our goal is to help people take their next step towards Jesus. That's growth language. We don't expect you to be there yet. It's also relationship language. Because we can't do this on our own. God, church, we have to remember that it starts by never forgetting that God is with us. I know what I've done in the past. I know that God has shown me unrelenting grace and mercy. 
And that if it wasn't for those things, I wouldn't be here today. And when I remember those things, it makes it a lot easier to engage in conversations, to allow others to experience the same compassion that I've experienced, and to walk alongside them as we all discover our purpose. So yes, Great Oaks is moving. Not to a different address, but to become a place where we embody these three things every Sunday morning for everyone who walks in our doors. And that as followers of Jesus, those of us who call Great Oaks home, we would embody these Monday through Saturday as we live our lives. And my hope is that Great Oaks will become like my buddy Andy's house, a place where everyone wants to be because when you're there, you feel loved. Will you pray with me? God, it still blows my mind every day that you want a relationship with us. That you wanted it so bad you sent your son to pay the just price that we deserved to show us your unending love and to give us purpose. And God, I pray that as we seek to follow you, you would help us do the same. Give us eyes to see the injustice around us. Give us hearts filled with compassion to love those you put in our paths. Humble us to know that we don't have the right answer and we don't have to, we just have to walk alongside them and trust that you will provide because you are with us. Jesus, transform this place into a place in our community where everyone steps foot and knows they are loved by you. This is our heart's cry. We pray all this in your name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.